You're listening to a Count Out Podcast. What it is, what's up, and welcome to Okada Shorts, another short, short episode of G-Wondering, all about night 15 of the G1 Climax from Hiroshima. I'm your host, Rafe Houston, your bad friend, Rafe Houston, uh, and I am not joined by my co-host, your good friend, Curtis Spears, as he will have just left the delicious audio morsel of night 14 in your feed for you before this. So here I am, riding solo to record night 15. In reality, I'm actually traveling back through time right now because I've just gone off the phone with Curtis. We've just recorded the next episode of the Okada Shorts main show, uh, which will be dropping in your feed not too long after this one, maybe even at the same time, who even knows. Uh, But I was behind on this, so time to get everybody up to speed on the action of the G1 Climax. Uh, the first match of the this particular night was ELP versus Finlay. Great match, and I've got to say, ELP is the story to watch in New Japan right now. Um, his story of, like, conscience is just getting started. Like, all the bullshit with, that happened in the Juice match where he got himself disqualified, and afterwards he's like, what am I doing? This match was, like, pretty much straight-up wrestling match throughout the whole thing, and he managed to win it through being the better wrestler, you know, uh, rolled him out, up, outmaneuvered him, and got the win. Then David Finlay shows him respect, and you can see that uh, ELP's thinking about shaking his hand and going, good job, man, but in the end, can't resist, resorts to, to Bullet Club, leans back on that crutch, hides behind the persona that is ELP, uh, you know, gives him a two-sweet uh, to the head and rolls out and is just being a, a jerk, just in general. But it's all a facade. We all know that deep inside there's a competitor waiting to come out uh, and I, for one, can't wait to see it happen. Uh, all the brattiness will eventually dissipate and we'll see a true hero emerge from ELP. Uh, after that match, we had the great Okan versus Tama Tonga. Um, I really enjoyed both guys, though this match was a little bit clunky for me. A lot of uh, Okan dominance until, like, Tama gets, like, fired up. Um, and <laughs> I, in my brief notes, I don't write many notes, but I said, Tama exposes the rig. Now, tell <laughs> Curtis and I have talked about how in America the rig means something different, but in Australia that's the, the upper body. That's your setup. So he tears away the shirt, Hulk Hogan-style revealing his rippling washboard abs and really gets it going. Um, some great, you know, g- 
gun stun kind of stuff from him. Um, and yeah, but Okan still proves like really hard to keep down, even after like a big splash from Tama. But he eventually gets the gun stun uh, on, and once he hits it, even with like a, not even that fast a pin, he manages to get the victory because it's that dominant a finisher. Uh, after that match, we're going to Evil versus ZSJ. Now, this is, again, one of the matches of the tournament. I feel like all the bullshit matches have really stood out to me this year, which is kind of surprising because, you know, G1 is all about the moments and the matches and the five stars and the six stars and all this kind of stuff. But there's just been some really fun, bullshitty, character developy type matches that I've really enjoyed. Some people hate that. Some people don't want to see that uh, from their New Japan. I, I don't mind it. I, I enjoy it. I just want to have fun when I watch wrestling. Uh and this was like exactly that. So uh, Evil comes out. He's got the new House of Torture shirt in his belt. And that kind of looks pretty cool. Surely cursed, but pretty cool. Do I dare? We'll see. Um, then out comes Zack Sabre Jr. But it doesn't, he's looking a little bit different. He's got a mask on. Oh, yeah, okay. He's been COVID safe. He's got a hat on. That's not really his style. And I'm pretty sure the hat has tape on it that says... I am ZSJ, something like that. Anyway, the House of Torture, being who they are, immediately attack him, but it's not ZSJ. It is one of the young lions. I'm so sorry I have forgotten his name, um, but he does, He proceeds to get attacked. He thinks it's pretty funny until he gets punched in the, the stomach. Um, and then Dick Togo goes looking through the curtain for Zach, but here's Zachy. He comes through. He's got Dick Togo in a lock. He then quickly gets evil in one, two, and just runs rings around him, throws him into some railings and things like that, gets him uh, in the ring. Uh, Togo tries to, like, grab his foot. He snaps an ankle and, you know, busts his wrist. Then uh, then evil tries to get him with a, a ball shot, but he catches that and then snaps that. And then, then he just does his, you know, big famous bridging over the top pin, uh, and, and pins evil. The whole match was like 37 seconds or something like that and just runs rings around him and is gone. I always love it when Suzuki-gun versus House of Torture. I feel like they're better at being heels. They're better at being shifty, and they just outclass them. And so that's exactly what Zach did here. I enjoyed him being too slick for everybody, uh, and I also enjoyed his new best friend, the Young Lion. Uh, could this be a seed of a future Suzuki Gun member right down the line. Does this ever get called back on? We'll we'll see in a few years. But maybe that is a, a future Suzuki Gun young line. We will see. Um, after that, we jumped over to Okada versus Filthy Tom Lawler. Um, just want to say before we jump into that that I've actually really loved Lance Archer on commentary. Um, and I loved, like, Kevin Kelly sort of, saying the facts about people and him, like, genuinely being interested. Like, oh, really? Oh, Okada didn't finish high school? Oh, he just graduated early and just went to wrestle? Like, he's sort of, like, learning about it for the first time, even though he's, like, you know, been in New Japan for years. So he may know that and maybe he's just playing, you know, the the listener or maybe he genuinely, you know, doesn't know these things. But either way, it lent to it. Plus, he had some really great insights on stuff. I also enjoyed his stare down with Okada at the end and really look forward to seeing what kind of impact Lance can have on Okada's tournament. I believe if Lance beats Okada, that then opens the doorway 
for some others to get through and maybe even all the way to a four-way tie, I think. So, yeah, interesting to see. I think it's probably Okada's block to take, but you never know. Um, Filthy Tom has been doing great. He knows his style. He's making Okada wrestle his match. Um, he's clapped things, like, really over. Um, <laughs> he was, like, using the clap to, like, inflict a hold. So he's, like, trying to put on a hold, and Okada's, like, got his hand and is trying to stop him, and he's, like, hitting Okada's hand in time with the clap, which was pretty funny. Though I think he got a got a little bit cute as Kevin Kelly said it when he was like doing elbows to Okada with the the clap. It didn't really look that devastating and and sort of didn't didn't look that great. But um, but that's him just you know trying things and trying to make it work. And you need to be willing to you know try stuff and experiment to make stuff work. Um, uh, I also like the storyline that essentially Tom had kind of been working the left arm with everything he'd been done. And so then when Okada goes to pull the ripcord for the Rainmaker, he doesn't have enough strength to hold on. And then, you know, and uh, Filthy Tom manages to spill away to the floor. Now, historically, Okada's left arm is the one that always holds on, you know, in those epic matches with Kenny and Naito and stuff like that. They're both on the ground and they're like, he still has wrist control you know, both components on the ground and Okada's just got lock hold of their wrist and then when they stagger back up, he can deliver the Rainmaker. It was interesting that that arm was the one that failed him in that situation. So I thought that was cool. Um, but yeah, uh, Tom continues to be cute. He pulls the Rainmaker pose, which is never a, a good idea. And and then I was wondering, as it got to the end, I'm like, are they going to make Filthy Tom here? Like, are they going to have him beat Okada as well? Um but, but that's not what happens. Okada manages to get the best of him, uh, out-wrestle him. And then just some really, like, great emotion here from Tom Lawler where he's almost crying that he that he lost, that he got outmaneuvered. And Okada shows him respect, and, and Tom's just a full-on babyface at that point, you know? Uh, Royce is there. He's kind of, like, hugging him, and he really wanted to get it done. The G1 means a lot. He wants to put in a great performance and he, and he knew how big an opportunity it was against Okada and he fell short and that hurts. And, and it's important that people see that. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, and then, yeah, as I mentioned, it finished up with a nice stare down with Lance, uh, with Okada saying he'll see him on, I think it's August 16th is their match, if I remember correctly. Um, then after that, we jumped to Tanahashi versus Goto. Now, when this began, I didn't care. I, I've talked about my struggle to be invested in Goto or to, you know, see anything with him. And this one became no different, you know. I was like, oh, okay. Surprised they made this the headliner. I'm sure Tanahashi's going to make it good. But, man, when Tanahashi headlines something, when, when he does anything, he puts his all into it. And it, he really put his all into this and did an amazing job, like, leaning into being shitty Tana, the one who's a bit pissed off and a bit gritty and does, like, kind of some healy sort of things. The commentary is telling the story of how, like, Godo's kid had three wishes, like how he wanted to see Godo win the G1 and wanted to see him win a title and win the AEW title and stuff. And, you know, Godo's already failed at, at least one of those. Uh, and so they're saying how he really wants to make this happen. And then Tana's kind of leaning into his dominant 
Healy's side saying, look, you've got to try way better. You need to be stronger. You've got to want it more kind of thing. And they just proceeded to have, like, a great hard-hitting fight. Commentary's talking about how their their singles record isn't impressive. It's like 13 wins Tanahashi, three wins Goto, one draw, something like that. So they they continue to paint that story about how it's an uphill battle for Goto to even compete with Tanahashi. Um and and Lance is saying, you know, this match is the personification of strong style, like as it goes on. And he's not wrong, man. I think it was like the first time I've cared about Goto in a long, long time. He's somebody I like, but I've never really been invested in. Um, you hear like legendary stories of him winning his G1 and going onto the Dome and stuff. That was before I watched, so I don't really have context for that. But I will say that the only time I really cared about him was in that main event uh, against Suzuki, the hair versus hair or whatever it was, uh, where Suzuki essentially is like hanging him from the corner post and he manages to beat him. That was really cool. Um, And after this, the slap from Tanahashi, the same slap that broke his jaw and knocked him out of a previous G1, him getting back up from that, his mouth bleeding. This is a perfect example of blood lending itself to a match and really like lending grit and gravitas to the conflict. This was the go-to match for me. This showed me what he could be. This showed me like if New Japan got behind him now and lent into this character and really wanted to tell that story of like the father on his last run on his last journey to like show his son you can do anything they could really get behind that and they could make a star out of goto they can make something really really cool happen with him as he just overcomes foe after foe narrowly getting to his prize i don't think that's what's on the cards for him i don't i don't think they've got the time i think they've got other focuses and stuff like that but i i think there's money in that and, and i think he could deliver it you know I don't, I don't know whether it was just the opponent, whether Tan- Tanahashi's like just that good, and I think he is that good. But maybe if he was driven, Goto could pull these matches out of other people or deliver these matches with other people, and we would see, you know. But either way, for this night, for this night alone, the G and G1 stood for Goto, and I, I can't believe I'm saying that his was the match of the night. Yeah, which is, which is crazy. So amazing job by him. Uh, quickly running you through the standings at the end of that night. Uh, your boy is on 40 points. Uh, Curtis is on 33. Travis is on 35. Amy is on 37. And Mo is on 39. People are breathing down my neck over there. Uh, and it does not feel good. It also doesn't feel good when I look at some of the tips I've got coming up and they look like the fever dream of a madman. Uh, I think as I was doing my my tips, I started to, whenever I do them, and why I've probably done as well as I have, is I look at them, like I try and tell a story with it, and I try and think of like, okay, so if Jay hasn't taken any losses by now, who are some potential challenges that he could have between now and then? and Or, or who are some upset wins? Who would have been really dominant and potentially then take a, a loss to somebody you don't expect? And as a result, I think it's about to fuck me pretty hard, if I'm honest. So I've got Hanare versus Kenta. I've got Kenta winning. Um, I 
think both are mathematically eliminated now, so it probably doesn't really matter either way. But I think we're probably going to see a Kenta win there. But I would love for Hanare to kind of become king of the strikers in New Japan and take him out. Then I've got Yano beating Jeff Cobb. Jesus Christ. I mean, Yano hasn't taken many wins this tournament. I'm not even sure he's going to take any more. And in my mind, Jeff Cobb would be quite dominant until this point and then need a need a, a trip up along the way. But I don't think Cobb has been as dominant as we expected either. So I think uh, that's going to come back to haunt me. Then I've got fucking Yujiro beating Shingo. Jesus Christ. Didn't expect the pimp to be like leading the block come this point. So there's literally no way that's going to happen. And I think Shingo's going to win. So I think Shingo's going to win that. Yoshihashi versus Osprey. Thank God I picked Osprey. Yoshihashi's doing really good. Again, being very dominant in the block. But I'm, I think it's pretty safe to say Osprey's going to take that. And then I have Tai Chi versus Jay White. And I've got Tai Chi as the winner. Now, again, let me let me defend myself here. In my thoughts, and I guess kind of, I mean, I mean, I have been right up until this point. I thought Jay would be, you know, defeatless, lossless, uh, undefeated, I think is the word I'm looking for. And then he would need to start to rack up a couple of challenges on the way to the Tokyo Dome. And so I thought it would be nice. I didn't think Tai Chi would be super dominant, but I thought it could be a big signature win for Tai Chi and a world title match on the way to the Dome. Not one that he'd win, but one to start to talk about him in that higher echelon of New Japan. God, I hope that happens. I would love to see it happen. The way they've kind of booked Jay I'm not sure it's going to. I, th- I think he's just going to run the block and beat everybody. But man, I'd love that. Can you imagine big match Tai Chi? Curtis and I have talked about it before. Can you imagine him coming out for a world title match all in white? White on white Tai Chi, opulence, yas. That's what I want to see from him. So we will see how that goes, but I'll be pulling for Tai Chi like nobody has ever seen. I would love to see, maybe he makes a makes a dent in Jay White's armor. A couple of chinks in the chainmail, so to speak. So fingers crossed that that's how it plays out. Okay, I want to thank everybody for listening to G Wandering. This and every night of G Wandering, we hope you've really been enjoying this format. Just a fun little bite-sized episode to run you through what happened on the night. I'm no analyst. I'm no professional wrestling expert. I'm, I'm not here to break down every single move. I'm just to, here to give you my honest reaction and how I'm feeling about it. So I hope you enjoy that. If you are, let us know at Okada Shorts. You can find us anywhere there. Uh, if you don't know where to find all our various bits and pieces, you can also check out the Okada Shorts link tree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot double E slash Okada Shorts. Uh, you can check out my other stuff, my interview series, Faces and Feels, at Faces Feels Cast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the places. You can check out my co-host, your good friend Curtis Spears, at Destructo 83 and you can check him out on his other shows, the Smark Foundation, and Throwing Dice. Also, if you find a naive method of giving away a free show oddly charming, you can support us by going to Countout's website and subscribing to the Patreon. Uh, They have three tiers. I'm not good enough to let you know what you get within all of them, but there's, I believe, a $3, $5, and $10 tier where you can jump in 
and show support for all the podcasters on the Count Out Podcast Network uh, who give up their time to entertain you out of the goodness of their heart. Uh, if you want a theme like ours, the Okada's Shorts theme was written by Owen of Riff Your Pod, lyrics by myself though, but you didn't know that, I'm multi-talented over here. Um, and yeah, he can he can do you stuff for your own streaming channel. If you're a wrestler, if you want entrance music, if you want anything, he's a very talented man with a lot of instrumentalists at his disposal. So beyond his own talents where he can kind of play everything and sing and stuff, we've also got other people around that he can call on um, to jump in, real drums, real bass. Maybe I'll play on it. Who even knows? But Riff Your Pod, at Riff Your Pod, hit up Owen and uh, get him to help you make all your musical dreams come true. And with that, I just want to say thanks for listening to another short, short episode of Okada Shorts Team Wandering. Rate and subscribe, listen or die, keep it right, keep it tight, and most importantly, keep it what? Short. This has been a Count Out Podcast.